0: So I get asked on a regular basis how in the world did I get involved in this crazy hobby of board gaming, in the way I've gotten involved with it. Now, when people ask me that, they usually follow that up with, "Eric, did you and your family growing up play board games a lot?" And you know, as I think about that question, we probably had all the standard games. Uh, many of us had, you know, we had Clue for sure. Uh, Love that one. Um, We had Stratego. My brother and I loved playing that one. Uh, My grandmother loved playing Scrabble. Now, me, I never played Scrabble with grandma because I I can't spell worth to save my life. So, really never got into that. Um, Oh, and then this last Christmas, um, I know we had some of the classes because my mom blew up this little family gem. Uh, That should be, look look at that. I mean, look at that cute little guy. That was me, by the way, in case you didn't track with that. Um, Opening up my first Monopoly game. Now, how do you go from the classics, and come on, let's be honest, no one really loves Monopoly. But how do you go from that to having over 250 games in your collection the way I do now, and a basement dedicated to the hobby of board gaming? Right? How does that happen? Well, the short answer is I discovered games that were not like Monopoly, okay? I discovered games that were not like Monopoly, games that you can invest in, games that offer a sense of accomplishment and the joy of discovery through the nuances of the play, where luck and randomness is taken out and replaced with rewarding you for intentionality and focus, offering a much greater sense of joy at the end of the game. And at the same time, I discovered a whole genre of games called cooperative games or co-op games as uh, board game people and I call them. A co-op game is where everyone around the table is playing against the game. And believe me, that game is playing against everyone around the table. And in fact, one of the ones that drew me into the hobby is this one that you see here on the screen called Pandemic. Yeah, I know how appropriate, right? Where you're literally, everyone has a role around the table and all of you are working together to thwart this worldwide pandemic that's breaking out all over the place with your special roles. And in the end, you either all share and celebrate the victory or as more oftentimes than not happens... You console each other with how bad the game beat you up and how all of humankind is now suffering that loss. Now, believe it or not, there are a lot of correlations between the hobby of board gaming and our spiritual life. A great board game just doesn't happen. And a great board game is always better with others. And these realities of intentionality and community are two things that I love from the board gaming hobby. There are also two values that we will unpack here this week in our series, This Changes Everything. Now, we've built this series, This Changes Everything, around this time of year, where many of us are hoping for a new beginning, a fresh start, where we're looking back over the last year, and we're saying, where where can I be better? How can I improve? What can I add or take away from my life to be more than I was, into this next year. And in This Changes Everything, we're exploring these six key values, ministry values that we actually have here at Christ Church to do this. Values that bring deeper meaning, that help us to unstick uh, these stuck areas of our lives so we can truly flourish in all areas of life and especially those communities, in any community we find ourselves in. Last week, Pastor Dan started out the journey into this series with the first two ministry values of authentic worship, where we are exalting and enjoying God as life's great purpose and pleasure. And that leads into being an attractive witness. And we, we seek to be this attractive witness where we live to draw others into this way of life at Jesus' as center. And this actually is, becomes our personal act of worship. It becomes our personal mission in life. And as Dan shared, attractive witness basically is worship walking. Because as we love God more, we can't help but invite others into this journey because of all the beauty and the love and the grace that we're experiencing. How can we not help but invite others into that to experience themselves? And this week, I continue that journey with us with two more ministry values. The first one's an intentional growth where we pursue intentional spiritual growth. Our spiritual growth just doesn't happen. And becoming like Jesus is an adventure worthy of every effort. Notice the focus there. When we grow spiritually, the focus is becoming like Jesus. That's the focus. That's our tell. That's what we're looking for. And again, that just doesn't happen automatically. And it just doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in isolation. Because to do that well, to have that happen, we need authentic community. And this is an investment on our part. Again, that doesn't happen automatically either. We have to invest to have authentic community because we know that doing life together is how we've been created and meant to live the Christian life. So God has intended. It's not me, myself, and God. It's we, the people of God, together with Christ at center. So as we begin, consider this question. What do a child, a seed, and a house, a child, a seed, and a house have all in common? What do those three things have in common? If nothing happens, one way you can answer this is if nothing happens, in their development, we become very concerned. A child, a seed, and a house. If nothing happens in their development, we become very concerned. I mean, consider it. Your neighbor decides to redo their house, and they bring it down to the foundation, and before you know it, walls go up again. But then one week goes by, and all you see are these bare studs, and that's it. And you know, you might say, well, that's construction. You know how that goes. Two weeks go by, and you begin to wonder... Whoa, are those rumors true about my neighbors? Four weeks go by and you definitely know something is the matter with next door. Or consider this spring for all you warm weather fans, warm weather again and you wanna build that container garden because during COVID here and 2020 and 2021, you have gone to Pinterest up to here and you can't wait to live it out this spring again. So you're planting a container garden in your backyard And you have your seeds and you do everything that Pinterest said to do to nurture those seeds, to make it just right so they can grow and flourish. And you plant them in in a week and you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of silly. It takes longer than a week. But two weeks, four weeks go by and nothing happens. Wouldn't you be going, well, man, I knew I didn't have a green thumb, but this is kind of silly. Nothing? Or maybe even more dramatically. What if you're the proud parents of a baby girl? But at every subsequent checkup, that baby girl isn't growing, isn't gaining weight, isn't developing, isn't reaching those benchmarks. Wouldn't after a week, two weeks, a month, you be really concerned and really upset? I would have us consider that the same should be true in our spiritual lives. That the scriptures call us to that same concern over our spiritual lives with our relationship with Jesus. Yet how many of us have that same concern for our spiritual life? How many of us are concerned that we or members of our small group or our family, our spouse, doesn't look more like Jesus this week than they did last week, or this month than they did last month, or this year than they did last year? Now, when I I say spiritual life, I don't mean spiritual in, in the way that a lot of people throw that word around meaning anything that makes them feel warm inside or, or happy or better about themselves. I mean in the realm of the Holy Spirit. More specifically, in the way when we make Jesus the center priority of our life, the way Pastor Dan talked about last week, where we are transformed to be more like Jesus in that process, in the way the Apostle Paul says here in Galatians. Paul writes, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you, And they will continue these labor pains, this great joy and this great pain, this great angst, this great looking forward for this to be accomplished. It's gonna continue until Christ is fully devoted, fully, fully, excuse me, fully developed in your lives. I love how the message puts it. Until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives. Paul is saying, I cannot wait to see this come through just like someone giving birth. There's that great pain, there's that great joy, that great hope, that expectation. I cannot see this little one coming out to give, to, into the world. And for Paul, for us, and, and those he was writing to, it's this visible presence of Jesus' life in our life. That's the goal. It's evident, it's plainly seen, it's not just having the right information about Jesus. It's about becoming a certain type of person because of our relational knowledge of Jesus. The growth and transformation by God's grace is seen uh, not only externally by things we do and things we believe and how we act and practically love, but it also is seen in our hearts and how we feel and what we think and how we respond and react. One of my favorite items we walk through in our membership process here at Christ Church are these seven couplets, and these seven couplets are ways that we describe what we mean by intentional discipleship. What, is it, what do we mean by we want to be followers, students, disciples of Jesus? How does that look? And these seven couplets help us wrap our hearts and minds around this, and what we do when we read this, I usually invite the folks, and I'm going to invite you here, whether you're online or in person. As I share these with you here this morning, I wanna ask you to note one or two that stand out to you and why. And if you're online, go ahead and just drop that in the chat. If you're here in person, I would ask that you would text me, email me. uh, Let me know on your way out which ones stood out to you and why I'd love to, to hear that. But take a listen. Intentional discipleship. What type of people are we trying to form here at Christ Church? Are are we seeking spiritual athletes and disciplined training toward Christ-likeness? Or simply people trying to be more like Christ, but still feeling weak and flabby? Are we going after 24-7 disciples of Jesus? Or are we okay with compartmentalized Christians and uh, people who just take Jesus out when it's quote unquote appropriate or when he's needed? Are we going after being active ministers? Or are we okay week after week just to come and sit and get, to be passive recipients of ministry done by others? Are we engaged to be lifelong learners, committed to aligning with Christ, my ideals, my beliefs, my views on things in life? Or are we saying we're we're okay with long ago learns, and remaining just as I am because I had it all figured out years ago. And there's nothing more I can discover about Jesus in my life here and now because I get it. Are we going after being Scripture-soaked people with a biblical worldview, or are we becoming and just being barely dampened believers who wither under heat because we have nothing to undergird our life and our heart and our mind and our soul? Are we truly being representatives, ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ? And that is our first and only declaration. Or are we uh, going along with the crowd and when people look at us and people look at out, uh, others outside the church, there is no difference because we're simply creatures of prevailing culture. And we're letting that drive us, whatever the latest fad, the belief, ideology is. Are we truly being Radiant witnesses as a reflection of God's life in ours reflected outward? Or are we flickering bulbs because our spiritual life, our relationship with Jesus, our, our witness to Jesus' life goes on and off like we flip a switch according to the circumstances around us. Now during our experience in the class, our conversation eventually gets around to you how this type of life, the life on the left, the kingdom life, displayed, just doesn't happen by accident. It takes a focus. It takes an intentionality. It takes active choices. And we will never simply drift into being an ambassador of the kingdom or an active minister for Christ. We will never simply drift and unengirding our mind and our heart and our soul and our life upon the scriptures and becoming scripture. So if that's not going to happen automatically just by drifting, However, know this there will be a consistent and constant pull away from that life, away from that intentionality. To do nothing is a choice. No choice is a choice in itself. Dallas Willard drives this home for us in his amazing book, The Divine Conspiracy. Willard writes, But the final step in becoming a disciple is decision. We become the life student of Jesus by deciding. It will not just happen. We do not drift into discipleship. We fail to be disciples only because we do not decide to be. We do not intend to be disciples. It is the power to the decision and the intention over our life that is missing. We should apprentice ourselves to Jesus in a solemn moment. And we should let those around us, hear that community piece, we should let those around us know that we have done so. So do you, you hear that formational question just coming from that? Do you intend to be a disciple, a student, a follower of Jesus? Because our spiritual life, our spiritual growth is just not gonna happen. And it just doesn't happen alone. Now the goal of our spiritual growth is the transformation of our character to be like the character of Jesus in all ways. It's just not for us to do religious things. It's to shape our hearts, to be the people that God has created us to be. And that is to be just like Jesus. And this is a process that ultimately only God does. And as we're told in relation to our spiritual lives, in relation to the heart, only God can change a heart. Yet at the same time, throughout the scripture, we are told in ways, make every effort. And we are are demonstrated in multiple ways throughout the scriptures that we have a profound role in partnering with God in that process of turning our life intentionally over to his and letting go of things and picking up other things in response to God's grace in our life. God simply doesn't zap us and and all is different. I mean, that would be great, would it not? Zap, say the right prayer with the right words and zap. Haskins 2.0. Believe me, my wife has prayed for this for years and it just doesn't seem to work. Just doesn't work that way. So remember my question about a child, a seed, and a house. There's something else that all these pictures have in common, and they're all pictures that the scriptures, God's uh, love letter to us, share with us as as an illustration, as a metaphor for our spiritual growth. Each of which also not only requires an intentionality to have happen, but there's also typically a community around, a group of people around that enables that to happen to the best best way possible. Seeds must be planted and cultivated. Houses must be designed and intentionally built upon firm foundations. Children must be cared for and nurtured to grow and to flourish in the healthiest way possible because our spiritual growth just doesn't happen and it just doesn't happen alone. Now, for the remainder of our time, we're gonna follow Jesus with the disciples through Mark 6. We're gonna break it up into two different chunks. And as we go into these chunks, we're gonna be looking for what I always call formational points. Those points that prompt us to become more like Jesus. Those points that here now in our life, right here, we can grab a hold on. We can turn, turn towards. And we can measure out to become more like Jesus. Take that step forward. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Jesus left that part, that part of the country and returned with the disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform these miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us they were deeply offended and refused to believe in Jesus. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his home family, own family. And because of their unbelief, this, is, this blows my mind, catch this. And because of their unbelief, He couldn't do, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. It's a very interesting passage here. The people hear Jesus. They're amazed at his teaching and miracles that he performed. And in spite of all that, They chose not to grow, they chose not to grow and embrace the person and teachings of Jesus. It was good they said so again. In fact, they said they were amazed at the depth and wisdom of his teachings and what he did. But they couldn't wrap their, (coughs) excuse me, they couldn't wrap their, their head and their heart around what they had just experienced, this Jesus in front of them and what they knew of Jesus in the past. It didn't fit their box. They had, in their view, Jesus all figured out. He now in front of them and what he was presenting and inviting them into didn't fit their preconceptions. So they made a choice. And therefore, they chose to let Jesus remain the little boy who lived down the street. And not someone to build their lives upon and certainly not someone to give their lives to. And because they weren't open and had the humility enough to accept who Jesus is and what he had to say, instead of listening and growing, they were deeply offended and refused to believe in Jesus. And can you hear the formational point just begging to be asked of us? I wonder how many of us right here, right now, treat Jesus in a similar way, directly or indirectly, Partially or completely in different aspects of our life. For some, we might have this Sunday school picture of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is someone who has great moral lessons that the kiddos need to hear. And so, because now we're parents, we haven't been at church in I don't know how long, but you know, when I was a kid, my parents brought us to church. So now that we, we're back at church because we have kids, because that's what kids need these moral lessons of Jesus. But really, the reality is, when we become an adult, life's way more complicated than those Bible school lessons, those Sunday school lessons. And you know, if you push me on that, you know, Jesus, I don't really think you can handle my life. Pretty sure it's a lot more complicated. It's not as simple as that, Jesus. But we have this picture of Jesus as being equivalent to one of the great religious teachers. Uh, we throw him up there with Buddha or Gandhi or you fill in the blank. He's one of those, yeah, amazing little quips, amazing stories, what a great guy. We should listen to him. We can glean a lot from him. But as C.S. Lewis pointed out, I love this. You can't consider Jesus that way. A man, here's what Lewis writes, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the lever of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But please. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. For others, maybe the more church-going types, we simply have a safe Jesus. We have a Jesus that fits nicely back in the box every week when we're done playing religion for the week. Never challenges, never causes us to ask hard formational questions of our life and of our family. Never pushes us how to consider how we might sacrifice sacrificially for someone else. Never challenges us to consider why we get so triggered by this set of issues and concerns and questions in our day, but not this set of topics and issues and concerns in our day. If we were ever to grow, we must take in new things from the outside. We must be an open system for life to truly happen. Closed systems die and decay. Open systems grow and develop. I mean, think of the Dead Sea, lowest place on earth. Everything flows in, nothing flows out. Nine times the saline content of a normal ocean. Everything's dead there. The people in Jesus' hometown were very much a closed system. They closed themselves off to Jesus and thereby were left spiritually dead. Folks, can you see how our spiritual growth just doesn't happen? And it just doesn't happen alone. The rest of Mark 6 here. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. He called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals but not take a change of clothes. Verse 12, so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. Now, Jesus' disciples have been with him for a while. They're learning to live life as Jesus does as they watch him, as they hear him, as they see him live life with the Father and the Spirit. And now, here, Jesus sends out his disciples out on a trial run, sends them out two by two. And what happened? The reality of the kingdom of Christ was revealed. It was illuminated in their midst because they began doing amazing things. They began healing people. They began setting people free from things that oppressed them. They began helping to, people to see and experience the reality of God right there in the midst and the flow of their everyday life. Lives were transformed. And did you catch and realize that Jesus sent them out together in community You've been with me, you've watched me, you've heard me. Now go what I, I've demonstrated to you, go what I've taught you. I want I want to see what you've learned. I want to watch you do what I've done. That's why I've been doing this. Jesus provides them this structure, this framework to live and to learn and to grow, and even send them out. He provides this framework of community to do this together, to support, to encourage, to remind as you go out in community together. People who grow and develop have structured ways of growing and developing, and, and oftentimes, more times than not, they have a different set of practices that they engage in their life, because without them, their life just goes anywhere it wants. But with them, it adds that framework, that structure, that focus to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And those, and, and the, the top of whatever, you fill in the blank. What do they have? What do athletes have? What do musicians have? They have coaches. They have mentors. They have, they have people that come alongside them in community to point out where they're falling short, to give coaching, to give helps, to remind things that they've learned. I mean, even us, even us board games. after a great round of one of our favorite games, we'll sit back for 10 minutes and just go over the game. Right? Believe me, there's games out there that you want to do this. And we thought, oh, that was a great move and in Hassan's. I cannot believe you didn't see that. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that rule. And yes, we even watch us board gamers play-by-play videos of our favorite board games. Yet yeah, don't mock me. Some of you watch golf on TV. Okay? <laughs> now, this is nothing new. This is actually in the scriptures to do something like this. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I have a plan. I have a focus. I have intentionality. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I'm very intentional with what I want my body to do in response because our spiritual growth just doesn't happen and it just doesn't happen alone. And that is why we encourage you to be involved in community around here in some way. And one of the key reasons we believe rooted is a great way to step into that life of community, especially if you haven't been in a small group or community in that way in a church before. In a rooted small group, you're doing all those things. You're intentionally aligning with the scriptures and unpacking them together as a community of faith. And you're reminding each other what Jesus has said and what the church is called to become. And you're just not doing that with with the scriptures, with head knowledge, but you're doing that with the act of prayer for, with, and through one another. And you're also uh, taking what you've learned and how you're being prayed up, and then you're getting your hands dirty and living that out, maybe even outside of your comfort zone as you serve in the community in different ways. In the community, with community. And this intentional way of life and community flows, not just from the gospels, but flows right in to the early church. And in the book of Acts, we have this beautiful passage. Some of you know it, Acts 2. And as I share this passage, listen to the intentionality. Remember, this is the early churches. They come together. This is how they arrange their life to make visible the life of Christ in them, individually and collectively. Acts 2, 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God. You you, you hear and see that worship walking. Pastor Dan shared last week that this is it. This is how it looked in the early church. And enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now that last sentence there, I firmly believe that is cause and response, cause and effect. And because they lived in the reality of the kingdom of God and the spirit was demonstrated in their midst by them making those intentional choices to create that space, And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those whose lives were being transformed for all eternity. And before we come to communion today, I'm going to invite you to do one other thing in response to living into these core values this morning. And that is to download or take on your way out. We have them both, some here printed out. And we have a link on the screen that you can download or find on our website. And that is to go through this spiritual health assessment for yourself. And what this does is basically, you can see it's pretty comprehensive and pretty thorough. But it's an intentionality of laying a mirror before your life and allowing the Spirit of God to say, hey, Haskins, this is where, yeah, you are so close to me right here. I love it. Keep it up. But over here, Haskins, yeah, let's do a little work on this. And here's why. And again, this isn't to be done in a vacuum. Please don't do that. This is to be done uh, with your spouse, with your family. Beautiful thing to do as a family. How are we doing spiritually as a family? It's an amazing thing to do as a small group. And as you do this in the last page, you kind of do a summary, uh, summarizing the whole assessment and as you look at that last phase, you might go, I don't I know where to start with this. I see these things, and this, these are definitely areas of my life I like to grow in. These are my growth edges here. Awesome, but I don't know what to do. Reach out to me. Uh, folks, I live for those types of conversations. Text me, email me, pop in the office. I'd love to take you for coffee. And if you're a lucky one, we might even get a board game in. Um, yeah, I, I can multitask, don't worry. We can talk of things of God over these amazing games. If you still don't believe me, that they exist because they do. Again, those are in the back as you go out or you can download it from our website. I've given you several pictures to reflect on today. And the last is that of communion. As it provides, I believe, a beautiful picture of these, uh, of today's values being lived. I mean, think about it. When we enter into communion... We are saying yes. We are intentionally choosing Jesus and saying yes to these two beautiful values. By receiving the elements, we are declaring our allegiance and reliance upon God's grace in our life. We are saying, I'm a sinner and I need to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for my life. And when we do this, We're doing it as the body of Christ. And Jesus himself gave these elements to us to remember together in community of his sacrifice, of what he has done on our behalf so we can have life in his name. And so as we here and now together are placing Jesus at the center of who we are, when we do communion, we're also inviting others to come and to see. We, as we go and serve others in the name of Jesus in the same self-sacrificial way that these elements represent to us. It's a beautiful picture. So with these realities in mind, as you come to the table in a few moments, may you, may we, truly realize that spiritual growth just doesn't happen, and it just doesn't happen alone. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and who you are in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the life you have given and the life you invite us into. May we not underestimate all that you desire to do in us, with us, through us, and in spite of us. We thank you for your love and your grace. And all God's people said, amen.